So we have crossed halfway in this series that I'm calling Our Vision. This is a series of five parts. We're into the fourth part today. Casting a vision for our church as the first series that I would do with you. Describing the kind of people that we want to become. And I'm saying that I think we can be the kind of church described in Psalm 1. I don't think it's something that is all of a sudden. I don't think it's actually something new. I think this is a church that is already living into that vision. And I want to make it crystal clear the kind of people we are to become. The kind of man you are to be. The kind of woman you are to be. A Psalm 1 man or woman. A Psalm 1 church. And we've looked at what that entails along this journey. We've described the kind of person that has changed from the inside out or maybe from the bottom up. Uh, we get really good at figuring out how to act like people want us to act, but on the inside we're pretty, we're pretty ugly. And we know a lot of people in our life that are like that as well, right? And so we want to be the kind of people that are changed from the inside so that we naturally do the things Jesus would call us to do, naturally do them. And trust me, I have learned how to naturally do a lot of things in the other direction. So how do we become the kind of people who naturally do from the inside out the things Jesus taught us to do? Then we talked about being the kind of people that are planted by streams of water. Like we've got to be connected to the life source. Which of us would go plant a tree in a parking lot on cement? You can't feed a tree through cement. You've got to go put it in soil. That's as silly as trying to think you can have the good life by living away from Jesus. It just doesn't work. And so we talked about abiding with Jesus. These are just reasonable things in the way life works for us. And then last week we described taking all of that and lifting our chins to take the long view. We are becoming a particular kind of person that will then participate in a particular kind of destiny. If you're the kind of person that doesn't like God, you're not going to like heaven. And therefore, God will give you what you want, a life away from him. And we said that's not God being mean, that's just God being reasonable. It's actually God being quite gracious to give you what you want. And we said that the fires of heaven burn hotter and brighter than the fires of hell. But we want to be the kind of people that are developing the kind of behaviors that would set us up for a destiny with God. So we want to take the long view, that our choices today set us up for a destiny into the future. Now all of that brings us to our next step in the journey. We're going to sit with verse 1, Psalm 1, 1, now, before we get there, let's take a look at the whole psalm and then just land the plane in verse 1 and unpack it for the next few minutes. So here it is, Psalm 1-1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Now, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither and whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like shaft that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, 
nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Now let's take it all the way back to verse 1 and sit there for the next few minutes. The psalmist begins that the whole psalm with blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. There's a progression here. There's walking, and then there's standing, and then there's sitting. Now, when you read those verses, you might take away all the religious language. And this is often used to say that you should never go, you should never drink, smoke, or go with girls who do, right? There's some phrase, like, don't, bad character corrupts good company, right? Don't, don't you hang with those people that do those bad things. And look at all these bad things. It's super religious language. It's like sinners, wicked, mockers, blessed, which can even have some religious overtones. And so you get churches across the country in time that use a verse like this to state the principle that bad company corrupts good character and don't you go with sinners and don't you spend time with those wicked people. Now, I'm going to say that in verse 1, there's a lot going on about who you hang out, so, hang out with socially. There's a lot going on here. But I think fundamentally here in verse 1, the psalmist is not describing a super-religious story. The psalmist here is describing the progression of, that life takes, the process that life takes to form the kind of person you are. I'm going to summarize this in three sentences. We're going to put them up. Three sentences. I want to take verse 1, summarize it into some basic principles about life. Here they are. The progression of walking to standing to sitting is the way of settling into a particular kind of life. And our habits form the kind of life we live. And the kind of life we live each day is a product of the habits we have formed in our minds and bodies. See, the psalmist begins with a formula. It's a formula that describes the way you settle into the kind of life you actually live. And that involves your habits. And our bodies are amazing machines. They have a PhD, a doctorate in habits. Your body can pick up habits and allow you to go on living. Right? So if you drove out of here today and were concerned with how to push the gas pedal, how to work the steering wheel, how to pay attention to the speedometer, how to make sure you are watching all of your mirrors, as well as take care of the demon children in the back, if you were required to pay attention to all of that, you may not make it very far. Or you'd be calling your insurance in just a couple minutes because you'd be in an accident. Over time, when you began to learn to drive, you learned, your foot learned how to hit the gas pedal as well as the brake pedal at appropriate times, and now you don't even think about it. Now, some of you have spouses that wish you were thinking about it more on either side of the equation, but, but, 
your body has picked up, your foot has picked up the habits required to drive you from here to your house. And your eyeballs have picked up the habits to know when to look in the mirror and when not to look in the mirror. And your hand has already picked up the habits to know when to hit the signal and when not to hit the signal. And for you parents who've been doing it for a while, your arm now has the habit to know when to reach back and when not to reach back. And hopefully your children are also learning that same habit of when to not do something and when to do something. Your body has a PhD in habit building. And praise God for that. But there's a problem with this way of walking and then standing and sitting, this process of building habits. We have learned in our time here on earth, we have learned how to walk, stand, and sit in the wrong direction. I happen to believe Paul when he writes in Romans 3.23. Here's what Paul writes. I happen to believe this. That we all, that would include you, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means your life's pretty jacked up. That you have walked and stood and sat in the wrong way with the wrong people acting the wrong way for a very long time. And your body, which has a PhD in habit, habit building, has learned how to do those bad things over time, and now knows how to do them naturally. When's the last time you thought about that cutting word that you speak when you're angry? Well, for me, it typically just comes out, and I'm often following it with, I'm sorry. Because I didn't even know it was coming out before it got out. Because my tongue has created certain habits when I'm angry. And maybe you can relate with that. But see... We have, we have walked and we have stood and we have, uh, we have walked, we've stood and then we've sat in the wrong kingdom. We, we, we have really learned habits in the kingdom of darkness. The Bible would, speaks about this as a kingdom of darkness. This is a, a world that lives away from God. It's in an opposition to God. Now the good news that Jesus brings is that he says, hey, I can rescue you from the kingdom. And we have a hero to bring us out of the kingdom of darkness. Now the Apostle Paul takes both of those, the kingdom of darkness, this kingdom of the sun, and he describes what's happened in the rescue. Let me bring that forward, and then let's pull this thread out of those two verses. Here's what Paul writes to get this in front of us. Colossians 1, 13-14. I'm using the New Living Translation here. I like the way the translators have worded the text here. For he, that's Jesus, has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Our problem, our problem is that we've learned to walk and stand and sit in the kingdom of darkness and our bodies have picked up a lot of habits along the way. This verse, these two verses say you've been rescued from that kingdom. And you're now in the kingdom of the Son. Your sins are forgiven. That is, if you come to the hero, the hero will get you out of the kingdom of darkness. Now, a problem still sits for us. How then do we relearn, how do we learn the habits of that kingdom? 
How do we walk, stand, and sit in the kingdom of the Son? Well, that's a little more complex. Now, the Apostle Paul, in the letter to the Romans, begins to pull that process apart. And what you'll see here, as we walk briefly through Romans 6, 7, and 8, this gets very messy. And I think he will speak to your experience as well as to mine. So let's start with some sweeping, let's start with some sweeping verses. I mean, these are those, those verses that sound great until you unpack them. Here's what he says. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes. Romans 6, 6-7. For we know that our old self was crucified with him. I feel like just saying amen. Like, that just sounds good, doesn't it? Like, that sounds like something you read on Easter. Like, Wow. Amazing, old self crucified. Let's keep going. This beautiful language here. So that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Like, that's like a song we could sing, right? Like, that's what we all want to declare. That's what we can all say amen to. And you walk out happy, you feel good, go to lunch, get full with some Chinese food or whatever you want, and you go home and everything is peachy because look at that, you are free from sin. That's a verse to memorize, those two, that passage right there. Now, if only the Apostle Paul would have stopped writing, but he keeps going. And he will then now pull out the complexity of what all that includes. Here's what he says. He's going to now... He's now going to explain to us that our bodies are involved in all of this. Take a look here. Romans 6, we're going to pick up verse 12 through 14. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. That is your body, like the one you're in right now, the one that has a seat on the pew, that body, that mortal body, that body. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself. Here he's still referring to that mortal body. You're offering yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin sh shall no longer be master because you are not under the law but under grace. Now here Paul begins to play out what it means to be set free from sin. So come back with me to that illustration of going from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. If you live in my house for some years, you'll learn certain habits. Then if you go live in someone else's house, they'll have wrong habits. And you're going to have to learn how to do their habits. And I imagine in those first few days and weeks and months you live with these people, learning how messed up they are from our family, that, that, that you're not going to do things right. For example, the people you might go to live with actually close the top on the toothpaste. Why would you do that? You use it every day. You're going to have to learn to begin to put the top back on the toothpaste. And you'll probably forget for many, many days, many of those first days with that new family. It's because your body's going to have to learn new habits. So you could say, and it would be true, on the first day you live with the new family. Oh no, now the illustration falls apart. Because you could say, I have been set free. And I now am living with this new family. 
you get where that fell apart, right? Made us seem like the prison. I was trying to go the other direction. So you could say, we are now free from the Yates family. And now we live in the bliss of this new one. But would your body have caught up with that truth? Not yet. That's what's going on when we go from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the sun. Our bodies have not caught up with the transfer from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And Paul here describes that, the, that in the transfer between kingdoms, your body still wants to live like it lived in the kingdom of darkness. Your body, that PhD in habit building, is still doing things that it used to do in the kingdom of darkness. In the kingdom of darkness, you learned how to use your words to get what you want. You learned how to use your fist to take care of business when someone made you mad. You learned how to raise your voice to get people to do things. And you did it regularly. And you stepped over a line. You, we learn certain habits. You learn how to lie. You learn how to manipulate. You learned how to deceive. Your eyes learned how to lust. Your hands learned how to act violently. You see where I'm going here? And so Paul here, as he plays out what it looks like to be free, has to say something to these Christians on how they use their bodies. And I mean your bodies. Do not use the instruments of your bodies for wickedness anymore. Now, if he left us at, verse, at chapter 6, verse 14, we'd have a clear picture of our experience, but we would be left wanting. So he keeps writing. He keeps writing. Check out chapter 7. Here he, he describes a universal experience for everyone who follows Jesus. Here's what he says. I do not understand what I do. For I want to do, for what I want to do, I do not do it. But what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it. But it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is, in my flesh. The word here in the Greek is referring to the flesh, to the body. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. You ever felt that way? You ever had that experience where you're like, why did I do that? I don't want to do that, but I do that. Paul is playing that experience out here in chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. Here's how I like to talk about this. The sin that took up residence in your body and in your habits in the kingdom of darkness still has a remnant living in your flesh. Your body has the muscle memory, the muscle memory of sin in, in the flesh. There is muscle memory. Your body carries the muscle memory of sin. You ever tried to unlearn riding a bike? Now, it might look funny to get on a bike and intentionally crash. Now, that, that might be the way you unlearn riding a bike. But I don't know that you can unlearn riding a bike. 
Because the muscle memory in your body is too strong to unlearn. Have you ever, if you've ever learned to play baseball, and someone throws you a ball with having a mitt on your hand, can you unlearn going across your body? I don't know that I could catch a ball any other way. Now, it took me a long time to learn this, and I got hit several times learning to do this. But once my body began to learn to do this, to catch the ball, I can't unlearn that. Because you know what's sitting inside of my arm muscles? Literally inside of my arm muscles and in my mind is the muscle memory of that motion. And your foot is carrying the muscle memory of how to push the gas and the brake in your car. The same thing applies to sin in our bodies. Here's how I want to say this. We carry the muscle memory of sin in our bodies. That's why those who follow Jesus struggle to live in the kingdom of light to the fullest degree possible. Now, we could stop and leave ourselves with no hope here. But Paul goes on in chapter 8 and says something encouraging. He says this, But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Now you look at that last, that last verse, verse 11, and you might tr track that all the way to heaven. That is, one day your mortal body will be made new and you'll live forever and ever and ever. But I happen to think this. I happen to think that that whole life infused into a mortal body is actually happening right now. I think righteousness is making its way into your habits as a follower of Jesus so that the muscle memory of sin is working its way out. Death is working backwards even in your habits. Now, there's no way to live forever in the body you have. Some of you understand that better than me right now. Because your body is older. And no matter what you have done in life, you can't beat time. And I won't beat time. But I can, in my habits, learn to speak a blessing where I used to speak a curse. I know I, that can happen. And so the very Spirit of God is working in your body to make it new. So that when your body stops breathing, when it dies, biologically, you are remade into the person you have become. Now that is a promise I'll follow. Because I've studied other religions and I've studied the secular world. I can't find anything declaring that kind of promise. And I haven't found any self-help system that has taught me how to bless in places where I used to curse. So I'll get on board with Jesus. Because I happen to think he's the smartest person who has ever lived. Now with all of that said, let's bring it to some application. I want to do this quickly this morning. I just have a few things here right up on the screen that can direct our attention on how to think about an application to all of this 
for your life. Living the kind of life that Jesus lived involves more than trying really, really hard. Now, this is that moment where you, that we can all just take a sigh of relief. You can't try your way into heaven. And you can't try your way into better behavior. I heard it once said that habits eat willpower for breakfast. It's why the baseball team practices over and over and over and over. It's why the baseball coach doesn't tell the players, listen, when you get to the plate, I want you to try really, really hard to hit that ball. I mean, you got to really try hard. But coach, we didn't practice all week. That's okay. You trying hard? Good. You give it your best. No, that team will fall apart. And if the baseball coach in this, team, in this town does not teach its players to practice at the batting cage, then that coach should be fired. Amen. Amen. <laughs> amen. Amen. A random amen from the crowd. Random amen. Yeah. You can't just will your way into new habits. There has to be intentionality. So here's this ne next thing. It involves training our bodies to live in the kingdom of God. There's not some radical difference on learning to live in the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. It just so happens in the kingdom of the sun, the kingdom of light, you have God's grace to fuel your life. But it is still a matter of training, not trying really, really hard. It involves creating godly habits that destroy the muscle memory of st sin, still living in, remember what Paul says, the members of the bo our body. So the application here is to think about what godly habits you can create. I'm going well beyond, I'm going well beyond those simple things we like to nail. I'm talking about how you speak to a loved one. I'm talking about what you look at. I'm talking about what your mind dwells on. Are you a worrier? Do you worry about what's coming tomorrow? Do you worry about all the things that could go wrong in your life this week? You're probably mulling on that. Well, mulling on all the bad things that could happen in your life is a habit that teaches your body and mind not to trust God. So what are those godly habits you can begin to create? It can be as simple as getting up in the morning, taking a sticky note and saying, thank you, Jesus, and just posting that up on your cupboard. Or you text somebody, I don't like God right now, but I want to say thank you, God. And send that text to a trusted person every day. Like, be honest. If you don't like God, just say, I don't like God. Do you think I like God all the time? Sometimes I don't like God. Sometimes the muscle memory of unbelief in my flesh is still resident in my habits. But praise God that we can create new habits because our bodies, especially fueled by God's grace, have a PhD in habit making. And so God can do something with that. So, what godly habits can you pick up? Make them simple. Start with one. Don't get, too, don't get too enamored with this idea of creating a whole new life in a day. Start slow. 
Make it simple and move forward. One that I have often tried to practice. And I, at times, will, will the habit will take shape for a little bit. And then somehow I unlearn it. It appears that the muscle memory in my flesh is still too strong. The habit of not getting the last word. You ever in an argument and it comes to its end and you think you could put a zinger right at the end, right? What if you just walk away and let God deal with the results? Now that's a hard habit. So it starts by keeping your mouth shut at the end of the argument. And then try to do that a second time. And then a third time. Let's take this all the way to a next step. Write it down. Listen, I got nothing, I got nothing here special. I got no profound thought. I just know when you write down a goal or a behavior you want to work into your life, writing it down can be a first step. So I'm suggesting that as a next step for you. Just write it down. But you and I will need God's grace to train in the kingdom of light. We're going to need his grace. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for, thank you for the opportunity to hear your word, to hear promises of grace. Thank you that you have been full of mercy to give us these openings, these chances to live a different kind of life. So help us. Help us to create new habits that follow in the way of Jesus. Help us to move our mortal body appropriately in the kingdom of light, the kingdom of your son. We're going to need your help for that, so would you be gracious to us and help us in that direction. And we come next week and we continue to train a little bit more. Hear your word again making progress as we learn to live the blessed life, becoming Psalm 1, men and women. We pray that all under his banner, his authority. In the name of Jesus, amen.